Hey everybody, welcome to the Game Changer Lacrosse Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Yavoli. The Game Changer Lacrosse Podcast is about talking to people who have dedicated their life to the game of lacrosse and learning about who they are, how they got to where they are today, and what they do to improve themselves and their teams. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at GC Sports, and if you're a coach or a parent, check out Game Changer Team Manager in the App Store. You can ditch the emails and spreadsheets. The free Game Changer Team Manager app streamlines communication, scheduling, and live scoring into one easy-to-use app. Game Changer Team Manager is 100% free for your entire team. Learn more at gc.com forward slash team manager or search for Game Changer Team Manager in the App Store. Today in the show, we have Nick Myers. Coach Myers is heading into his 10th season as the head coach of Ohio State. He began his coaching career as a volunteer assistant at Ohio State after graduating from Springfield University. He then went on to be an assistant coach at Butler for two seasons before returning to Ohio State in 2006. He was named the head coach of Ohio State Lacrosse in 2009. In 2017, Ohio State made a run to the Final Four and made their first national championship game appearance. Coach Myers is now the winningest coach in Ohio State program history. Coach and I got a chance to talk about a lot of topics like his time working as a volunteer assistant, his daily and weekly team framework, ownership, going all in in Ohio State, and much more. Here's my talk with Coach Myers. Coach Myers, welcome to the show. Joe, thanks for having me. Really uh, excited to be on and appreciate the opportunity to uh, have some time together. Yeah, I'm excited to talk, but um, but let's get started like I always do. Uh, how'd you get started playing lacrosse? You know, for me, I uh, grew up in Maine, uh, southern Maine, so uh, not necessarily lacrosse hotbed, mm-hmm. uh, per se, but I uh, grew up playing a lot of different sports. I had a younger brother, two years younger, so we were getting into just about anything we could. Uh, parents uh, split at a young age and remarried. Uh, to teachers. So I like to joke that I was raised by four educators, uh, all school <laughs> teachers, spent half the week with, with mom, half the week with dad. But what was kind of neat is, uh, you know, they had a really awesome impact on my brother and I in, in all different ways. And, you know, one of those impacts was my stepfather, Charlie Birch, who uh, gave Pat and I our first stick. At the time, he was coaching at a high school at Cape Elizabeth, hmm. um, you know, about 30 minutes north of where Pat and I were living. And they were the powerhouse in the state. You know, they rattled off 10, 11 state championships um, in a short period of time. And, and so in my town, we really didn't have it. We, it really wasn't something that anybody really knew what it was. I remember Pat and I wearing Garber Gorilla uh, T-shirts to school when we were in, like, grade school, and nobody knew what it was um, <laughs> with the stick on our T-shirts. So right. uh, it was probably, like, fifth, fifth, sixth grade when I got my first stick and just started playing catch in the park. And gotcha. then uh, from there, it kind of took off. You know, we kind of got it going in the, in the community. And, uh, and uh, you know, my mom and my mom really ran the club out of the house, you know, hmm. in town. So uh, it was kind of it was kind of cool that way. I played football and basketball, but lacrosse was a very different experience in terms of just uh, the setup in our community and the kind of the way it was, uh, you know, being managed, if you will, at that time. Gotcha. Gotcha. And uh, and sorry, you said what other sports did you say that he played football and basketball? Yeah, I played uh, in high school. I played football, basketball, lacrosse for four years. You know, I really enjoyed all three and uh, played all three, um, you know, throughout my probably through my senior year. So gotcha. you know, I had great experiences there. Gotcha. And so uh, at what point 
Um, at what point did you start thinking that lacrosse was going to be the thing that you, you know, you wanted to play in college? I just knew I wanted to play something, you know, I think for me, um, was humbled by the idea of even coming out of Maine and, and playing lacrosse at all. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, my stepfather was someone I really had leaned on. He'd had a lot of his Cape Elizabeth, uh, players move on to play in college. So I, I really looked up to a lot of them, right. kind of used them as, as a, as a model, if you will. And, can remember being a ball boy in some of those state championship bus rides, you know, coming back. And that really stuck with Pat and I. Hmm. So that, that was, that's probably got where the itch, you know, where it got started. Gotcha. Um, but, you know, played basketball, played football, and just didn't feel like maybe there was going to be the opportunities there. And mm-hmm. Went to P200 lacrosse camp down at Springfield College. I remember spraining my ankle playing basketball in a, in a, in a high school basketball game the night before I left. Huh. So I was bummed about that. But I, I went down to Springfield, did the best I could, and, uh, the coach that was uh, that I got signed to was Sean Quirk, um, who now right. coaches the Boston Cannons. But he was the GA at the time at Springfield, and and we really hit it off. And he ended up calling me afterward, and kind of the rest is history. Gotcha, gotcha. So, what ultimately made you decide on Springfield? Why why did it seem like a fit? Uh, you know, for me again, I, I would I would go back to just you know the way I was raised. I had parents that were teachers. Um, I knew I wanted to get into teaching and education, coaching of some sort. Uh, obviously, I had a passion for sports. And when you step on campus at Springfield, I mean that that's that's it. That just it checks every box. You know, mm-hmm. it's a, it's got an amazing uh, vibe about it. It's very sports specific in terms of uh, not only is that where basketball was invented, but just the whole curriculum is very different in terms of the student athlete experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was that in, in conjunction with you know I went down to Mary Washington, I went down to WNL, I went down to Franklin and Marshall. Uh, God, I remember Frank Federaco was an amazing recruiter. I love talking to him on the phone. Hmm. I, I still kid today. He's one of my good friends, but he was an amazing recruiter. I used to look forward to talking to him every week. Um, you know, I looked at a variety of schools, looked at Bucknell a little bit, and a couple of different spots. But for me, it was in New England. It felt right. When I went and visited the, the, the young men and women that I met there, just I felt like I had a lot in common. And so I uh, decided to take a chance and, and uh, you know, and go to Springfield. Right, right. And, and so when you got there, that – that first semester, did you feel like it was a fit right away or was there, you know, any sort of, you know, struggles sort of transitioning to a different school, you know, and being away at college? I think it's a normal uh, transition, you know, for me, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really enjoyed it. I felt comfortable. I think on the lacrosse perspective, it was humbling, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I was definitely felt like I was in over my head a bit. And I remember feeling like I was in like the 10, 11 spot on the depth chart, the attack position, and, you know, by Christmas time, you're wondering, hey, is this is this something I could even do? Right. I uh, got through my freshman year and, um, you know, had, had, a, had, a, had a good year, you know, you know, appeared in one or two games. But uh, that summer was time to really re- recommit myself, if you will, to the game. And that was mm-hmm. a transitional summer for me after my freshman year. Uh, ended up, you know, being able to go back and, and play a considerable role as a sophomore, but mm-hmm. had to go back home and, like I said, really kind of reassess my game and my commitment level to the game. Mm-hmm. And so now, you know, with that in mind, now when you're dealing with kids, uh, I mean, I'm sure you deal with it every year, kids that are maybe going through that sort of learning curve, um, you know, struggling maybe their first year. How, how do you talk to them? How do you approach them? What do you tell them, um, you know, to sort of help them through that struggle? It's great. It's a great question. I appreciate how you set that up. You know, I think for me, I look at this as an opportunity to teach. You know, it really is. You're you're fortunate in lacrosse and like a lot of Olympic sports. You're guaranteed in most cases to have a student athlete for four years. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, if you're lucky, a fifth year. 
Um, so it gives you a really interesting, you know, it gives you a really strong window. You know, they're not leaving early after a year or two. Um, you know, and that first year is so, you know, transformational in terms of all the things you mentioned, the academics, the distance, the, the taking care of yourself, the new friends, the competitive atmosphere, um, kind of jockeying for like, where do I fit in this whole piece? And so the conversations that I have, I think really are are based on the individual. You know, I'd like to give you a, a, kind of a standard answer but I do think that it's the fall and the way we structure our fall that first six weeks is just lifting mm-hmm. you know we really don't put too much lacrosse in their plate you know we tell the guys listen if you can just come in and, and, and strain and work really hard um, you'll be just fine you know it's not overwhelming uh, we do a lot of team building we have a lot of speakers come in uh, we do a lot of things together one of the first things we do is we go out go on a camping trip together for a weekend and I take their phones away from them sign the freshman big brothers you know, and, you know, yeah, freshman immediately signed to a senior in the summer. And so, you know, you just start breaking down barriers and walls and, and hopefully trying to create a really comfortable and safe and, and friendly environment. You know, my, the, the best compliment I get is when folks come into our locker room or they're around our team and they just like, I have no idea who your freshmen are, you know, or your seniors. And just, it's right. very, it's very obvious that it's just a group of guys that love hanging out and being around each other and, uh, that takes time, you know. Right. So I think for us, that first six to eight weeks, that's really the goal. Mm-hmm. And inside that, you're going to have, you know, some intimate conversations with some that maybe you're struggling. You know, some guys that maybe are a little homesick, mm-hmm. or some guys that maybe feel like things are moving a little, little too fast. So, hmm. um, yeah, yeah, I hope that, that that would be my piece. Yeah. And the final thing I'll say to that, Joe, would just be I think freshmen come in with the, the, the hopes of being on the first midfield line right. in the fall scrimmage. And so I think, you know, talking to the parents before they drop the kids off that final time, I, I always share with them. I said, you know, a great fall. If they come home for Thanksgiving and they're doing well academically and they like their teammates and they're working hard, like, that's great. Leave it there. It mm-hmm. shouldn't be where are they in the depth chart, how much of playing time are they getting. Like, that's going to come. And I just think right. sometimes there's that feeling of putting the cart before the horse. And so I really try to encourage the parents because they end up talking to the kids two or three times a week as well and if they can take that pressure off to just say hey listen how are you doing in school are you being a good teammate are you working hard do you like it that's it that's where the conversation should end you know right. let, 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 let everything else just kind of happen so that that would be my feelings on that question right yeah, yeah, yeah so so it sounds like it sounds like you guys put a lot of emphasis on on team building right up front um so i'm sure that makes things much easier for incoming freshmen. But then the other thing, and this is something that I hear consistently with, with the coaches that come on, and correct me if I'm wrong, it, it sounds like you're you're also having, especially the freshmen, focus on the things that they can control rather than the things that they can't, right? Like they don't, they're not going to be able to pick, hey, you know, I'm, I'm going to start right away. They're not going to be able to make that decision, but they can control how hard they work, whether they do well in classes, things like that. Is that, is that right? hundred percent. Yeah. You come in with a positive attitude, come in and be coachable. And, um, you know, we talk about developing humble warriors, you know, mm-hmm. like there's a humility that happens. And I think as a high school all American, which is what almost every one of these kids is and the right. guy that was a captain of his high school team. And, uh, you know, to come in that summer after high school, Joe, as you can remember, you know, you're a confident guy, you know, you usually you have <laughs> right. a couple senior trips or you, you know, you, so when you, you show up on campus and you, you know, you get there, um, there is that humbling process that, that every young man goes through and, mm-hmm. and you want to make sure they're so confident, um, but that you kind of rebuild that confidence in a way that aligns with Buckeye lacrosse. 
Right. And they understand right from the get-go, like, here, who's who we are. You know, it's okay to fail. But here's the framework of how we operate both on the field and off. Mm-hmm. Here's how we love each other. You know, here's what's acceptable. And we're going to be patient. We're going to be patient with you with, with the understanding that, you know, being a Buckeye is, is not for everyone. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you're going to do this, you're going to, you're going to put, you know, your, your best effort in and, and the things that really, like you said, don't take talent, you know, being on time, right. you know, giving a good effort, you know, just giving a guy a high five, you know, like being coachable, you know, the right. things that you can control. Absolutely. Those are the things that you got to go back to. And those are the things that made these guys great to begin with. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's, kind of a, it's kind of a, it's kind of a reset, you know, and I think, um, as a head coach, my first few years, I did a poor job of, of committing to that process early. I assume I made too many assumptions and we've had to really, over the last four or five years, we've done a much better job and the staff has done a much better job of just saying, okay, let's be realistic of what do we want the first eight weeks to look like? Mm-hmm. And a, a lot of that is cognitive growth, you know, in your team. And I think that then you can say, okay, now we're prepared to have more challenging conversations and strain because it's just a deeper trust level. Right, right. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, so I want to, uh, I do want to go back real quick, um, you know, to the start of your coaching career. Um, so from the beginning, you know, once you, once you graduate from Springfield, um, what made you want to start coaching? Uh, you know, I, I, I loved, um, I was very fortunate in high school. As I said, I was my senior year. I was, I was fortunate to be elect captain of my high school football, basketball, and lacrosse team. And, you know, when I was in those roles, I had three amazing coaches, you know, that I worked alongside, you know, that were all very different. You know, my football coach poured into me a very different way than my basketball coach and my lacrosse coach. And, mm-hmm. you know, having those, those three experiences as a senior as a captain, um, I walked away just like I loved that the challenge of working with a coach and, and working with peers and trying to maximize not only myself, but like knowing that my success was defined by the success of others. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's kind of where it started. And and I just knew I wanted to teach. Like I said, I was raised by teachers. I, I, I just, I didn't really know anything other than that. Um, I was working camps a lot in the summer. I was trying to be around any, my stepfather, uh, Charlie had worked camps every summer, five, six, seven camps. Mm-hmm. So I tagged along to a lot of those and just been around a lot of coaches. And so when I got to Springfield, I mean, it's, it's, um, it was a natural fit, you know, I, I majored in physical right. education and started to get really interested in, uh, lesson planning and just the way they teach, uh, you know, everything A to Z there on the, on that, on that side. And then, um, you know, again, just started really getting entrenched in working camps. And when I worked mm-hmm. at camp, I treated them like interviews, you know, when I was at a camp, like whether it was up at Holy Cross or it was at Springfield or it was down in, you know, UNH, um, I always felt like I was auditioning, you know, if a coach mm-hmm. let me stretch the team, I tried to have the best stretch at camp. Right. You know, and I was always looking for feedback from coaches and I was always sticking around after to try to pick coaches brain on kind of how did they get there? What was their process? What did they do? Mm-hmm. I was really, you know, kind of uh, really into it. And then right. as an athlete that, that, that first developed. So when I graduated Springfield, got my degree, I really had two paths to choose from. I could be a full time teacher and I had an offer to stay in Connecticut and, and teach mm-hmm. at that time with a lot of college loans. That was a really attractive offer. Right. Um, or go out when my brother had taken a chance to go out to Ohio State, a program that was just getting started uh, on the varsity level with scholarships under the leadership of Joe Bresci. Mm-hmm. And Pat had been there two years. And, and really at that time, the volunteer position was still still pretty new, you know. And I, I kind of I, I asked Coach, I said, listen, can I come out and work for free? And he said, sure. 
Hmm. And so that was the decision that had to be made. And, and that's, that was kind of a defining moment for me for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, if, if you can talk about what, what sort of gave you that confidence to go out there as a volunteer to Ohio, when you said, you know, the, the sort of student loans have sort of piled up, piled up and you're, you're turning down a position or a full-time position to be a teacher, to go out to, you know, a, a relatively new program, uh, as a volunteer coach, what, what sort of gave you that confidence? Yeah, well, you know what, I, I got, um, it's a great question. You know, I think I was, it was some really challenging conversations with my family. You know, my mom and dad were great. They said, listen, you got to follow your heart. And I think I, what I looked at is a lot of people that had come out of Springfield that had gone to that GA route and stayed mm-hmm. in division three and been really successful. And then I also saw a lot of people that were getting right into PE jobs and teaching. And my parents had been teachers for 30 years at that time, you know, both of them and mm-hmm. remarried teachers. And I just, I just felt like at the end of the day, I could fall back on that. And that would be there for me. And I think I didn't try this. My brother had been a division one athlete now for two years at Ohio state. He was having an amazing experience. He's like, Nick, you got to see it out here. Hmm. And I just said, you know what, I'm gonna take a sh- I'm gonna take a shot. I'm gonna go out there for a year. And if I fall on my face and it just doesn't work and I can't afford to make rent, I'll, I'll come home and I'll, I'll try to scrape together enough money and, and find another teaching job. Right. Um, right. So that was, that was my mindset. I was like, I was going to go out there and take a swing. And, you know, a new coach Breshi was, uh, an amazing leader. My brother had had great things to say. So just knowing that my brother was out there and I had at least one person that I knew, right. uh, I was going to take a chance. So I graduated in, in that May and then I, I moved out to Columbus, um, you know, the end of that summer. Mm-hmm. And, and how, how did the, how did the opportunity come about? Did you reach out to coach Brescia or did your brother introduce you? How, how did that work? Yeah, it's kind of a little bit of both, you know, Pat knew I was, I was looking for something and, uh, he connected me with coach coach and I got on the phone and, at that time, he said he had an amazing staff, and he didn't have a volunteer on staff. And I just said, listen, all I'm looking for is an opportunity to just be around the program, and mm-hmm. I'll prove myself. You know, I told him I'd do anything, you know, and right. uh, that I was going to find some other jobs out there to make ends meet. But, you know, I needed some experience, and I I wanted to get it at the highest level. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was great. You know, Coach Bresci is an amazing man. Yeah. At that point, I had no idea what I was going to get from Coach and what mm-hmm. he was going to truly uh, do for me but um him just opening that door is something i'll never forget and it's it certainly you know like i said something i keep in mind too when i'm working camps or I'm, I'm around young young guys that are they're getting into coaching to just take the time to, to answer questions they may have or or to just just to talk to them because that was exactly what i was looking for and hmm. we're always in a hurry and a rush and and i always i just feel like that's something i could probably continue to do a better job with but at that time coach was great he said yeah you know what if you want to come out come on out, you know, you got to spot the staff and, uh, hmm. you know, we'll, we'll reevaluate it after a year and see where we go from there. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, uh, so I, I do want to touch on, you know, sort of, uh, uh, or the next school that you went to, um, you know, before we get to, uh, the head coaching job at Ohio state, but after, uh, you know, a few years of being the volunteer at Ohio state, if I did my research, right, your next job was at Butler. Is that right? You're right, Joe. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so how did that, how did that position come about? Uh, well, you know, I did two years of volunteering at, at, uh, at Ohio state and, uh, it was amazing. You know, like I said, it was everything I'd hoped it would be. I, I got to coach my brother's junior and senior year, uh, his senior year, we, we made the playoffs for the first time in program history in 2003. And, um, like I said, two, two just amazing years. I got to, to learn a lot from coach Bresci. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was working a lot of really bad jobs, Joe, um, you know, and, <laughs> Uh, trying to figure out a way to make rent, but uh, 
you know, it, it, like I said, at that age, when you're 21 and you're hearing about your friends going on trips and traveling and working full time and, you know, you're doing double shifts at Outback Steakhouse and you're DJing on the weekends and you're selling steak out of your truck and you really have no <laughs> friends and right. you're doing all this so you can get up at 630 in the morning and go to go to practice to then go to your real job. Mm-hmm. There was definitely days where I was like, you know, is this really what I want to do? Right. And I think the fact that I did that, it, it getting to your question about Butler, mm-hmm. it forced me to commit to it, like to really go like all in. Mm-hmm. And um, at my mind, my girlfriend who I'd met in Springfield, who now is my wife, um, was graduating from Springfield. And my, my, my mind, I was going to, I hadn't gotten a job offer. So I was like, I'm going to go home. I'm going to go home, be the GA at Springfield, get my master's, coach there for two years. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't that I was discouraged by any means, but I just, there was no other offers and I couldn't keep doing it. So I had it all set up. I went back I met with coach Bugby. I was going to be the GA mm-hmm. and uh, I got a call, you know, Craig Cahoon gave me a call say, Hey, listen, I got, I got an opening. I'd like to have you interview. Mm-hmm. We had played Butler at that time, the great Western lacrosse league. So I was on the next flight out interview with, with coach and he made the offer. And, um, and then I just had to explain to my girlfriend that we were going to, we were going to move to Indianapolis instead of Springfield. So, um, uh, <laughs> very, we packed up a U-Haul and, and we moved out to Indianapolis, which is just three hours West, West of Columbus. Hmm. And, uh, spent a year, spent a year on staff with Craig Cahoon. And then he transitioned. I was actually offered an opportunity to be, uh, to, to interview for the head coaching job there at 24, which I did, hmm. I didn't get. And then they hired Stan Ross, who then retained me as an assistant for a year. So I got a chance to work for two different amazing leaders right. and uh, at a very different, at a very different place. You know, I mean, I was playing big, I was playing, you know, noontime hoops with guys like Brad Stevens. And, um, you know, we had an amazing group of coaches there at Butler at the time, uh, but a really cool environment, um, much, much more similar to what I experienced at a Springfield, small, small school. Um, so yeah, you know, I'll, right. I'll stop rambling there, but yeah. it was, I really enjoyed the time at Butler for, for a lot of reasons. Right. Yeah. So, so you were there, you were there for two years, um, you know, under two head coaches. Um, and then after, after two years, you return to Ohio state. How did, uh, how did that opportunity come about? Um, you know, I, I think, you know, at that time there was a change in the staff that coach was making. And, you know, I think for, for me, um, that was always a dream was to be, you know, to, to have an opportunity to go back to, to Ohio state and a full-time role. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I, what was a dream, it was a dream come true. And I think, you know, in 2004, the year after I had left, my brother actually, um, took the volunteer position that I had started. Mm-hmm. And then when he, you know, so he, he had gone on to Cornell, but that year coach, coach lost Michael. And that was a, that was a, that was, that was a, um, it was really hard, as you can, as you right. know. I mean, Michael was his son, his firstborn, and so um, when I came back, you know, it was a year after that, and I just I knew that I was coming back to not only help coach uh, do something really special, but I, I had to, to do everything I could to support coach because he mm-hmm. had you know done a lot for me. So right. there was a lot of emotion in that return, you know, in terms of coming back home and, and to a place that, like I said, he he was he's a beautiful wife, Julie, an amazing family. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think coach showed me as much about being a, a man, a dad, a husband as, as, uh, in the coaching realm, that, that was really big for my development, you know, to just have a mentor like that. And, right. um, you know, so we came back and we were on a mission. We were on a mission to get things turned around, to get things going in the right direction and to make sure that, you know, we put Buckeye the cross across on the map. Right. That's what we, that, that was, that was the mission from day one. Right. Right. And then, uh, you know, sort of just to round things out, how did, 
Um, how did the head coaching job, um, you know, come about after Coach Bresci left? And this is when he went to Carolina, correct? Yeah, I mean, the Carolina job opened, and you know, for obvious reasons, you you know, you you felt like you know the coach would be a candidate. Right. Um, we were coming off a year we we had gone to the quarterfinals and uh, you know beat Cornell in the first round and lost to a really tough Duke team in 2008, and uh, so we had a great year, you know, right. and and we felt like we had some some really positive momentum behind the program for sure with recruiting and. But it's Carolina, you know, it's his alma mater, and I, I knew he was torn. I could tell he was torn about it, you know, Michael. Um, it was laid here and, and his kids and his family and he loved Ohio state. And so I, I, I really didn't know, you know, I knew right. that I was going to Canada for a recruiting trip and I jumped on a plane to go to uh, Canada. And I was trying, my, my mission there was to, to secure Logan Shuss. Um, <laughs> and, and when, when I got off the plane, uh, he called me and said, Hey, listen, brother, I want you to come. I want you, I want you and Julie to come over to the house. And so I got home from Canada. Um, Logan had committed, so I was excited to tell him that Logan was going to be a Buckeye hmm. and uh, knew he was going to be a good one. And hmm. went over to the house, and he told me that he was going to Carolina. Hmm. And that he said that, um, you know, he said that I had a job with him at Carolina, but that, you know, and in his heart, he knew I was going to be the next head coach here. And, uh, hmm. you know, again, just another another moment that, that really shows Joe's true colors. I mean, he was – he was adamant about that. He's like, I'm not making a hire until I know what goes on here. And, um, wow. but the process started, it took about a month and a half. Uh, they brought in some great candidates. I think there was four other head coaches that applied. Mm-hmm. Coach was really patient and waited to make his hire. And, uh, so I knew I was either going to Carolina or I was going to be the head coach at Ohio state. And right. Put my head in the hat and interviewed and, uh, was very fortunate in July of, 2008 to be offered the opportunity to be the next uh, leader at the Ohio State University. Hmm. And and uh, and so I'm curious, you know, especially with your your time at Butler, where you know over two years you were with two head coaches. Do you feel like that experience helped the transition from Coach Bresci to you as the head coach at Ohio State? Do you feel like you had some lessons to bring over from that experience? Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, Butler was you know, everything Ohio State wasn't, you know, I mean, we didn't have any of the amenities, you know, there was, there was no, we were doing our own tutoring, you know, that just, the Butler way is very different than the Buckeye way, you know, and I, and I love that, you know, that was for me, back to my roots, growing up in Maine, going to Springfield, I felt right at home at Butler, and I loved those kids, we had a great group of guys, they were hungry, um, Craig Gahoon was a, was an, was an alum, and, and uh, so we just, you know, the guys that were there loved the program, uh, we were, we were committed to trying to get it going, you know, after one year to be offered the opportunity to be uh, a candidate for the for the job, I was definitely not ready at that time. And I think that experience was really good for me. And then to stick around as an assistant with Stan Ross, who was awesome. You know, I learned a ton from Coach Ross. Uh, really prepared me to come back to Ohio State in the in the role that I was as a recruiting coordinator and as a as a top assistant, um, which was very different than my role had been just two years previous. So um, right. Yeah, the other right. thing was was big. I, I'm not sure that would that door would have opened had I gone to Springfield. Right, right, right. So, uh, so you know, once you take over as head coach of Ohio State, what's your approach? Is it, um, you know, because you had been at the school for, you know, for so many years, um, did you try to carry on sort of the tone that had already been there, or did you try to set your new tone as the new head coach? Um, how how did you approach that? That's a great question, Joe. You know, I think it was it was um, 
looking back on and reflecting, I think there were some things that I'm really proud of. And there's some things that I would love to have had another crack at, you know, but at 28 years old at a place like Ohio state, um, you know, there was, there was a lot there, you know, to unpack, you know, I think the, the things that, um, I would, I would offer would be, you know, one, the amazing people that I had around me, you know, I had, mm-hmm. I was able to get a great staff put together, but we had an amazing AD, uh, who was, who was great, who was someone I could lean on, uh, who was very supportive. Um, and coach Presley had done an amazing job leaving a culture that was very healthy. You know, it wasn't a, a rebuild. It wasn't a come in and, 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 and fix everything, you know? And, and I felt like we had really, he had really, when he hired me back, he's like, Nick, I want this to be a partnership. He's like, I want you to come back here to Columbus and I want to do this together. And mm-hmm. I'll never forget him saying that. And, you know, obviously he's the head coach and he was, he was calling all the shots, but he gave me a lot of uh, flexibility and taught me a lot and coached me up a lot. And so I think the fact that he allowed me to be involved in just about every aspect of the program really prepared me for that moment. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, you know, and I think, you know, like at the same time, you got to be you, and, you know, coach and I are very different personalities. And I think that's part of the reason why we had some success together, you know? And so I think for me, it was hiring the right staff and hiring the right people um, and recruiting the right people, you know, and then making right. sure that, uh, we continue the things that were working well at that time in the program, but also, you know, be the best version of yourself. And I mm-hmm. think that that was, that, that's something as a coach, you have to constantly remind yourself is you, you can't be someone else. You can read all the books you want and quotes and, and podcasts, et cetera. And you take something from everybody, but you ultimately got to chase your best. And, right. uh, at times, you know, when you follow someone that's been there 10 years and been so successful and is so well-liked and is so charismatic that can feel daunting, you know, mm-hmm. it's not an right. easy follow. Right. So it, it took, it took a couple of years for me to really feel comfortable. I think in my own skin as a head coach and truly confident in everything that I was doing and kind of turn the corner. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's, yeah, that's just an honest uh, reflection, if you will. Right. Right. And so, um, you know, you mentioned coach Brushy was, was, was real adamant when you came back that he wanted to make it a partnership. Is that, is that also the way you approach it? uh nowadays with your assistance i certainly feel like i have that right now yeah there's no doubt you know uh, brad ross has been now with me five years and he's in the associate head coach role he's going to be an amazing head coach you know i'm very lucky to have him and, and, and travis crane now who's now in year three with me in the defensive coordinator role and mark Fergie, my director of operations has been with me 11 years since my first year and so right. uh, those guys are really the core um, and I think, you know, the, 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 the partnership of feeling like everybody has a stake in it, you know, and everybody mm-hmm. has, uh, a, a healthy, uh, stake in just what it means to be a Buckeye and this Buckeye brotherhood that we love so much. And so right. I really lean on Brad, you know, I really lean on, on, um, he had some, had some great experiences down there at Duke and he's worked for, you know, coach Pressler, coach Danowski, coach Tiffany, I and mean, he's got some great, um, you know, mentors in his life and, so he's made a big impact on Buckeye lacrosse and you know, right. a big part of who we are because of the four years he's been here and Travis has been on the doom. So you, as a coach, you want to be able to make your, your, you know, your, your presence felt and, and really be able to pour into, you know, the program in, in your own way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I welcome that. I do. I think there's a framework certainly of Buckeye lacrosse that, that will never change, but you know, the people are what make it special and we got right. some amazing people out here in Columbus for sure. Right. Gotcha. Um, so I, I want to talk, uh, if we can, a little bit about how you guys um, run practices. Um, can you walk us through, uh, you know, what a typical in-season practice is like for you guys? 
Sure. You know, we, uh, we'll meet at 8 a.m. and we'll look at the film from, uh, like, the coaches will take home their iPad or their uh, iPads or their laptops. My laptop comes home every night with practice on it. Mm-hmm. So we'll watch it. We'll take notes. We'll make cuts. And then at 8 a.m., um, we'll start the meeting with just reflections. You know, we'll go around the table. Hey, what do we, what do we think? What do we like? Um, and it could be anything. I'll usually have anywhere from 15 to 20 bullet points of just random thoughts from what I saw, uh, the logistics of practice, certain guys, drills. And each guy will kind of share their feelings. And then we'll, we'll maybe watch a little bit if we need to or watch a, a, a segment or two. Mm-hmm. And then I'll have the framework of practice kind of planned. So we'll go over kind of the reminders for the day. And then we'll just kind of go down A to Z. You know, we'll say, hey, listen, this is our first period. It's going to be a seven-minute period. Then it's going to be a 12-minute period here. And uh, they can – we have a drill bank that we work out of. And so if they, we say, hey, we need to do a transition period. And they say, hey, coach, we want to try this transition drill today. And we'll plug that in. Uh, we're doing a ride clear segment, then we'll look at some of our ride clear options. Um, so usually that process takes about an hour to an hour and 15 minutes. We're in there together. And mm-hmm. and then Coach Fergie types it up, come back. We'll, we'll have one more 15-minute meeting around 11 o'clock just to make sure we're all on the same page as far as what's getting filmed, equipment, uh, teams, personnel, drills, et cetera. And then uh, we'll get out there and we'll go from about 12 to 2. Monday, Wednesdays, we'll lift after. Um, Tuesday, Thursdays, the kids just hit the field at like 1130 and just start, just start going, mm-hmm. call that like pre-practice work, but they're out there early shooting. And, uh, yeah, that's kind of the framework of what it looks like. Right. And you guys try to, you try to keep practice to about two hours. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't, I'm not sure that we ever over two hours, you know, maybe, maybe two or five was stretch on either end, but, um, everything's within that two hour window. Gotcha. Gotcha. And so, um, and just cause I'm curious that, uh, that practice plan that you guys, uh, that the coaches put together, is that shared with the team beforehand? Uh, in some cases. Yeah. I mean, we don't typically post practice. We'll post teams, we'll post their groups, mm-hmm. we'll post themes. Um, but I don't, I'm, I'm not one that typically posts, uh, the entire plan. No. Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. And so, uh, you know, how do you guys look at practice in terms of, you know, teamwork versus individual work. What would you say the breakdown of practice is? How much how much time are you guys spending, you know, working on, say, individual positions versus, you know, the offense and defense, things like that? It's a great question. I mean, I think you try to – we try to break practice down to eight or nine segments. So there's, like, mm-hmm. player development. There's unit development. There's, you know, team development. There's install. There's repetition in terms of just your, your stick work, your footwork. And then there's competitive portions. There's your toughness segment. There's your, you know, competition segment, your scrimmage segment. So I might just riled off like 10. And then each one of those 10 categories has a list of drills that goes inside of it. So Hmm. what you try to do is have a well-balanced practice that has a little bit of everything. And you may not be able to get all 10 or 12 segments a day, but you're going to get eight to 10. And Hmm. you want to make sure that you're, you know, yesterday we were outside. It was 24 degrees outside. It was cold, and so I had to make sure in the practice plan it wasn't an install day. You know, we didn't do any standing around, and we really kept the kids moving um, and engaged the entire practice. We had great practice. You know, today we were back inside. We went about an hour and, and 30 minutes, and we did some more installation today than we did yesterday, but we still had the, the, the skill development portions and, um, and and skill work, if you will, unit cohesion, unit drills. So Right, right. And so, uh, you know, when you guys are deciding on, you know, what drills you're going to do during practice, how do you guys make those decisions? Is it based off of weaknesses that you see in the film or maybe, you know, if this was in the middle of the season, is it based off of things that you didn't do well 
during the game or, uh, you know, like how, how are you guys making those decisions? Uh, good question, Joe. You know, I think it's a bit of both, you know, we'll look mm-hmm. at uh, the film from the night before, you know, and that's where that, I think that reflection to start the, the day is important at 8 a.m. Mm-hmm. You know, listen to your coaches talk about, Hey, listen, I don't know if we're doing a great job, you know, sitting down or we need to do a better job, you know, with our, overhand shooting or inside finishing or, you know, whatever it may be. So, okay, great. That's skill development. We got to work on that, right? You know, Hey, we're lousy at V cutting. Great. Let's right. do station work and let's make sure V cutting's a station. And then you get in a scheme and they'll say, all right, what do we think of how we played yesterday? Oh, geez. I thought the offense did a pretty good job in the first part of the offense, but we, the ball never goes through X, mm-hmm. you know, or, okay, great. Let's, let's work on a, a six on six with a parameter where the ball has to go through X once before we can, we can engage it in a shot. You know, so I think the dialogue of like, hey, what did we think of yesterday? And then the modification of, all right, well, let's, let's address that. Right. Um, right. This is where a lot of that takes place, you know, and I think it's, it's nice to create conversation. What I also like about it is I think it takes your staff on the journey with you, you know, mm-hmm. and so in that 30 minutes where you're reflecting, we're all kind of talking and say, okay, great. Here's where we are. I've come in with, like I said, kind of an idea of where I think we should land. But, you know, when, when, when coach says, hey, listen, what do you think about this? Or I would love 15 minutes to really hammer home that point. Then you, mm-hmm. you carve that out and make that a priority. Right, right. Makes sense. Makes sense. And, uh, and so, you know, during the season, uh, you know, let's say, let's say it's a Monday uh, and you guys have a game coming up on Saturday. What does the week look like in terms of how you're preparing for that upcoming opponent? Are you guys watching film of them all week or, you know, does it start later in the week? How do you sort of structure that preparation? Yeah, you know, right now we're we're playing anywhere from a Friday to a Sunday, depending on TV and, and in conference, non conference, etc. But um, you know, pretty pretty standard. If you played on a Saturday, you know, Sunday's an off day. You know, we, we're not in Sundays. Coaches are reviewing the film. We're we're emailing each other what our feelings are and stats, break you know breakdowns, etc. Uh, a lot of that will get sent to the players as well. We'll post all that Monday. Monday's going to be, um, you know, toward the end of the season, it'll be a much lighter day. Early in the season, we'll, we'll go a little bit more, but it's a recovery day. It's stretch. It's, uh, it's weight room. Um, it's film review. You kind of unpack what, what was. Uh, Tuesday and Wednesday are work days. You know, those are days that are all about us. You know, those are days where we're, we're back to just making the Buckeyes better. Um, you know, working on our stuff. We're not talking about our opponent. And then, you know, Thursday when they come in is where you, you, you probably get that introduction. You know, here, here's the mission. Here's, here's what we're up against. Here's some things that we need to be really aware of. It's kind of a, I call it an overview. It's not the scouting report, but it's just some, some vitals on your opponent right. and some themes for practice that day. And then on Friday, you know, you get the scout. Friday's the scout. Uh, you may do some film after practice Thursday. You may do some film before and after Friday. Um, you know, you do a scout review Friday and then you play Saturday. Mm-hmm. And how does that uh, how does that scout review sort of break down? Is it uh, are you looking at individual matchups? Or are you looking at uh, overall team tendencies? Uh, it's a bit of both. You know, the individual matchups probably less than the team. You know, I think we'll, we'll on the defensive side. You know, that we'll we'll look at the knowns and take a look at hey, what are the things they do really well. You know, what are the things that right now are are putting the most pressure on teams and, you know, how do we do a good job of defending those? And on the offensive end, it's the same thing, you know, all right, okay, geez, what are they doing to create disruption? And, you know, are they a zone team? Are they a man team? Do they slide fast? Do they slide slow? How do they defend mm-hmm. the invert? That's, you know, you have a checklist for every, you know, that you go through kind of for every team and what's their riding clear. What, what right. are some of their situational, te- situational tendencies? 
And so you kind of have a checklist for like, all right, when they do this, if there's a team that does this, we do this. If they clear this way, we do this. Mm-hmm. If they ride this, we do this. And so you kind of go through that checklist and then you say, okay, wow, man, they got a, they got this one guy that is really good. We need to come up with a, a little more of a specific plan. So mm-hmm. I think there's like a, is a, is a tweak or two, but we don't get into like every guy this, we, we, you can get lost in that. We really right. try to make it about our, our growth. And at the end of the day, the only team we feel like beating Ohio state is Ohio state. And that's really right. our mentality. And it's, right. it's not an arrogant one. It's one that just is, we're humbled by the fact that we think we're our biggest enemy. Right. And you know, it's our sleep, it's our diet, it's our preparation, it's our ability to have, you know, great practices, great training sessions, go to school, stay on task, take care of each other, you know, be great teammates. And, at the end of the day, those are the things that ultimately lead to success much more so than, you know, what the guy does in his island dodge, you know. Right, or, right. <laughs> right. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, and then and so so finally, you know, as as the head coach, what are what are things that you're trying to do, you know, either to prepare for an upcoming opponent or to prepare for an upcoming game? What's uh, what are you trying to keep in your head? Well, it depends on the day. You know, I think each day might be a little bit different. You know, the way our day is set up here, as I mentioned to you, from 8 a.m. to about 3 p.m., um, I'm having a lot of conversation with my staff, with players, planning practice, getting ready for practice, preparing film for practice. So we'll watch film on ourselves a lot. Um, and then practice, go to two, and then debrief afterward. And, you know, you may get a quick workout in. And then that, you know, that three to five, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dive into some things administratively that I need to, I need to tackle. Mm-hmm. Um, I go home. I, I have two boys at home, eight and six, and from five to to seven thirty, I try to be as present as possible with them, even during the season. And right. and then you know, usually from eight to ten, I'm back on the laptop watching practice, taking notes for the next day. So that's kind of a framework of, of what my day looks like. I you know, right. I usually get to the office around six thirty, seven o'clock, and do it all over again. But you know, as far as the opponent goes, you know, I'm we're watching film on the opponent early in the week, you know, for sure, but also ourselves, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a steady dose of both. And, you know, like I said, we'll go through that kind of that checklist. That I gave you some, some, some uh, pieces too. And then, uh, you know, we'll just have some conversation, you know, I'll talk to Brad and you, you, you said the partnership, Brad, what do you think? What do you think is some right. keys this week for us? What are, what are three things we got to do really well to be successful? Um, you know, versus this week's opponent, you know, coach, here are the things I think that, that we got to really stress with the guys. Okay, great. I, I agree. You know, let's, let's make sure this is it. So it's, it's conversation with your, mm-hmm. with your staff. And then once that alignment is there and you got a staff, that's all aligned. Hey, this is our game plan. These are our checks. Here's our plan. A here's our plan B. And then, then, then you present that to your team on Thursday and there's right. clarity. It's, it's crystal clear. If we do this, this is, this is what we do. You know, if we weather a storm and we're, we're in this scenario, we got this is option B. And I think the conference that your your team has knows that, hey, man, we got some checks. You know, we got some mm-hmm. things that, listen, if we if we get in a rhythm, we, this, is, this is who we are, this is what we can do, but we also have some options. And right. I, I think that gives your staff some confidence. It also gives your players some confidence. Right, right. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, you know, so uh, I, I do want to take uh, a little bit of time. I want to talk about, you know, some of the rule changes that are happening this year. Um, you know, I wonder if you can talk uh, about the big one. Uh, you know, you you have the the 80 second shot clock that's added. How has that? How is this? You know, sort of how are you guys approaching it um, in terms of your offensive and defensive strategy? How has practice been affected? Um, you know, what's going on? Yeah, it's exciting. It's an exciting time for the game. You know, I think 
we're all looking forward to it. There's going to be a feeling out process, I think, here in these first few games. But, um, you know, we're using it every day. You know, we did mm-hmm. a segments practice today. We did a 20-second shot clock. And we did just inbounds offense versus zone uh, and zone defense, you know, trying to get into different scenarios, short-time scenarios. There's just going to be a lot a lot more of those than there have instead of having, like, four end of the quarters. You know, you, right. you got – you anywhere from 10 to 12 of those a game where, you know, what do you, how do you manage that last 15 or 20 seconds? And what do you do when they pop into a zone? And uh, when do you roll in the corner and when do you kind of go to the cage? And mm-hmm. um, so there's, there's, there's probably a much deeper situational checklist in, in, in today's game that we were about to play than maybe we had before, but at the same time you want the players to feel, you know, like it's theirs. And I think that first 20 seconds of the shot clock, we really feel like is, a time to, to, to probe and, and transition and test the waters. And then there's that kind of that 40 second window where you can settle into some sort of an offensive set. And then there's that short time scenario where you got to decide situationally how you want to manage that. And I think that's kind of how we've, we've broken it up at least to start both mm-hmm. offensively and defensively. Right. Right. And, and how have the, how have the kids handled it so far? I mean, I know, uh, you know, my first experience playing with a shot clock in the MLL it was, you know, you work the ball around maybe once and then you immediately go to the cage because you feel like 60 seconds has already gone by when it's really like 15 seconds. Um, you know, have the kids, uh, have the kids, you know, adjusted to it yet or is there still a little bit of a learning curve? There's definitely a curve. We've only a couple practices in. We used it sparingly in the fall because um, we were at that point, there's was, was so much teaching going on. But I think it's, it's going to take time. You're exactly right, you know. Uh, but she had some of that without a shot clock, candidly. You know, there right. we we, right. we would go too early and too late. You know, at the end of the day, you want to work for a great shot, you know, mm-hmm. but you also can't work for a great shot forever. So I think it's eliminated some of the the the, the extra time and some of what people felt like was the the, the downtime of, of, of elongated subbing or, or maybe holding the ball. Um, it just gets you moving. You got to get into an offense quicker, you know. Right. And like yesterday, we had a situation where the ball went through X twice. And, they, and we scored, and uh, we still had 36 seconds left on the clock. And it was a right. great point. You got the ball through X twice. We ran some really good offense, and you still had 35 seconds left. Right. You know, so, oh, yeah, right, Coach, you're right. So I think it's just, you know, it's conversation with them and them understanding that there's a sense of urgency, yes, but there doesn't have to be a feeling of, of feeling rushed. I mean, 80 seconds is a good amount of time. Is a lot. Is a lot. Yeah, I, I remember, uh, like, like I said, I remember we – we would go to the cage and we would, you know, sometimes take wild shots because we felt like, you know, there's only like five or 10 seconds left in the shot clock. And then you look up and we have 45 seconds left. <laughs> you know, like there's so much, so much more time than you actually, than you actually feel. Um, so I'm curious, uh, you know, the, the other, the other rule changes, um, you know, the dive and the box. Um, how are you guys, uh, has there been any adjustment in practice about working on those things or how are you guys approaching those rule changes as well? Uh, the box has been great. You know, the box is, is pretty similar to what it was last year. It is going to make it harder for guys to just run off and run on with a shorter box. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do think that's a positive. I think it's going to create a little more transition. Right. If you're a team that's going to play with five attackmen out there and not have a two-way midi or two on your midfield line, it's going to make you really have to choose. You, you really won't be able to ride. You know, right. You're going to have to, you know, really drop. And so I think with the 20-second clock on the clearing – you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, it's forcing coaches to decide who they want to be. Do we want to be a, a riding team and try to 
uh, you know, keep some guys on at least one or two middies. We want to, you know, put our most skilled guys out there and just kind of run to the box and drop and hope we can get our guys on. I think that's become tougher with the shorter box. Uh, the second question on the dive, I'm excited. I think everyone's excited. I think there's still some gray area, if you will, coming out of convention and, and exactly how our dive will be called. It, it doesn't feel like in the way it's been shared that it's the same dive the MLO has. It's a, right. a little different type of dive. And so I think with an offensive player at risk of being penalized and uh, the number of scenarios that can take place, I think there's a little uncertainty there. And, I, you hmm. know, for us, we've kind of eased into that, you know, and I, I think the guys that dive and you look at the great guys, you know, you think of a guy like a Marcus Holman or a Chaz Woodson or, you know, the guys, you know, obviously Gary Gate, but the, the guys that have done it, and, and even those three, all very different players, right? Right. Um, right. And all dove, all dove in different ways. Obviously, Doug Knight and Watson, mm-hmm. um, Cavaliers, as you know, but the, um, I don't know if you necessarily need to practice that all the time. You know, I think there's mm-hmm. a degree of risk in practice, and I think if you're one of those guys that has a nose for the cage and loves to get underneath and dive, then you do it. You know, but I don't know if you necessarily need to practice that and do it all the time with the risk involved. So we've been very cautious with it. It's been, I think that'll also, uh, you know, evolve as the, as the year goes on, but uh, it's certainly something to keep a close eye on. Right. Yeah. That, that was something I was, I was curious about. Cause I, and I think you're right on was again, you know, I played my entire career where the, where the dive was outlawed, but then once I got in the MLL, the dive was there and I, you know, it wasn't like I was diving every single play, but when it was available to me, I took it and it was just something that, you know, I knew how to do instinctively because, you know, I spend my entire career basically around the crease. Um, so I was curious if, uh, if coaches were going to be, you know, working on that during practice or, you know, just letting, uh, letting players sort of instinctively feel it out for themselves. Um, but, uh, but okay, so I, I am keeping my eye on the clock here. I just want to ask, uh, you know, uh, before the last question, I want to ask two questions about, um, you know, recruiting for any of the young kids that are listening. Um, you know, how do you, what's the, how do you recommend young players get noticed when you, when you talk to a younger kid, you know, who, who is saying, you know, I, I'm worried about getting recruited. I want to get recruited. You know, what, what's your advice to them to get on coaches radar? That's a big one, Joe. You know, I think um, if you just simplified it down to what are we looking for, you know, if you if you go to a field or an event and you're, you're not necessarily watching one kid or you just say, these are two good club teams, I'm going to go watch them play and, and see what they have. You know, things that jump out to you right away is just how hard a young man plays, you know, and the intensity he brings, whether that's an attackman, whether that's a defenseman. Um, you know, I think that the interactions that he has with his teammates are a big one for me. And I know – Coaches say that, but I mean, when you start really thinking about the 20 hours a week in the season that you're together and, you know, the fact that you do have choices, there are a lot of players out there finding a guy that loves to ride, that loves to sit down defensively, that, that, that competes for every loose ball, that is one of the first guys to run over to a teammate and congratulate him after he scores, that seems mm-hmm. like he loves playing lacrosse and has great energy. Like, those are things to me that, that definitely don't get lost. And, I, and it kind of goes back to things that don't take talent. You know, because then it's like, yeah, if that's a guy that you feel like, man, we could really develop him. He's got great skills or he's got good skills, but the motor is there. The love is there. He's a good, solid teammate. Mm-hmm. Um, that's someone I want that's, that's someone I want to spend a lot of time with. Right. You know, uh, you know the high-end skill guy that, that has flashes of brilliance but takes a lot of plays off and, 
you know, has a palm up or two and, and kind of has some behavioral challenges. You got to ask yourself, you're, you're, you are, you are marrying that too. And I think that you can get enamored with the highlight video and the highlight real plays, but all that comes with some other things, you know? And so I think what I'm getting at is what I would tell a young man is simplify your, your portfolio, you know, and just remind yourself that you buckle your helmet, you put your mouthpiece in, there's a ground ball around you. It's going to be yours. You're going to right. die for end lines. You know what I mean? You're going to, you're going to compete your ass off. You're going to be coachable and, uh, and you're going to be a great teammate, you know, regardless of whether it's a, a showtime event or, I mean, you go to those showcase events where the guys are all numbered. They don't know each other. There's some kids that, you know, are, are really good teammates. You can just tell they love playing. It's like the first mm-hmm. day you show up to an MLL team and you step out in the field and it's like, you know, music is made because guys just love playing. They love playing fast and they love playing with really good lacrosse players. Right. Um, right. You know, that's why those guys are there still, you know, when mm-hmm. the dust settles. Right. Um, so I think in the recruiting process, you're kind of looking for some of those same attributes, you know, guys that are self-starters that are intrinsically motivated. And, um, and then obviously the, 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 the attributes that, that make a great lacrosse player. But I think that what, that would be my advice to uh, a player. And it's funny. I mean, I have, like I said, I have two boys that, that love playing. They're young, eight and six, but they're playing box and they're, they're wrestling and they're playing flag football and, when you're that age, a great day is, you know, did you have fun? Did you play hard? And were you a good teammate? That's it. Right. Three things. Yep. I don't know if there's a whole lot of variances in that as they get, you know, all the way through middle school and high school, you know, and mm-hmm. if you can keep it that simple, I think you'll catch the eye of a lot of coaches that, that really value that. Right. Right. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, well, coach, listen, uh, you know, I really appreciate you taking the time, but there, there's one question I've asked every coach who has come on. Um, what are three things that everyone should be doing every day to get better at whatever it is they do? It doesn't have to just be lacrosse. Three things. Uh, well, for me, I'm, I'm, you know, I I think just the reflection is one thing that I try to do every day. I try to, you know, whether it's on my ride home, um, I have a, you know, time in the morning that's really just to myself and I, I try to do a good job with my wife you know, 15 minutes to, to make sure she's a part of that. And just, just to reflect, like, what was your day? What was the positives? You know, where were the girls? What am I missing? You know, and try to get outside, you know, the, the to-do list and really open the, you know, open yourself up to feedback, um, self-assessment, and also include someone that you really trust to give you some feedback as well. So that would be mm-hmm. number one for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, number two in, in my world is that I, I have to find that right balance. You know, you, you think about the, task and I'm very I'm a very task oriented person so like finding the gray area for me is important you know when's the time of the day where I can not have it scripted you know and kind of have a, a 40 minute window where I can just you know whether it's playing with my boys in the driveway or it's just relaxing with Julie but I can get through a day from 6 a.m to 10 p.m and never have a moment that's not scripted or I'm doing this or task and I think that can that can lead to, to burnout quickly so for me it's that that find that 30 to 40 minutes of unscripted, you know, it's like recess when you're a kid at school, but it's like mm-hmm. where your mind can be at ease. You, you put your phone on the shelf and you just kind of do something that's enjoyable and play a game of pool. You, like you said, you play a puzzle, you do a puzzle with your son, whatever it may be. Right. And then third, I think for me, is just the, 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 the ability to be, um, you know, a better listener, but, but also really allow, the, the great people you have around you to, to, to maximize themselves, you know, to just do a, a really good job of, 
you know, absorbing, you know, uh, the, the opportunity around you to get better, you know, meaning right. that, you know, if you're chasing your best, that's great, but don't have the blinders on, you know, allow other people that are incredibly talented on all different levels, whether it's a player, a coach, staff member, support staff, friend to, uh, you know, to, to, to open you up to some things that maybe are a little bit differently than, than maybe you're seeing them. So, right. Right. That's awesome. Um, well, coach, listen, like I said, thanks so much for taking the time. I appreciate you, uh, coming on and, and hopefully we can talk again soon, but thanks for coming on. You got it, Joe. Take care. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Game Changer Lacrosse Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Uvoli. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe Uvoli. You can find more episodes of the Game Changer Lacrosse Podcast on this season at thisseason.gc.com. If you like the podcast, please take a second to give it a positive review on iTunes. This helps more people find the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at GC Sports. And if you're a coach, a parent, or you run a traveler club team, check out Game Changer Team Manager in the App Store. It's an essential, all-in-one scheduling and communication app for lacrosse coaches and parents. Game Changer Team Manager is free. It's easy to use, and it doesn't serve ads. Learn more at gc.com forward slash team manager. Until next time, keep working and keep getting better.